Amen. We are in Acts chapter 19, and we are in Ephesus, as you can see from this screen here. Starting in verse 8. And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way, before the multitude he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. Uh, and this continued for two years, so that all who dwell in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. That's a massive statement that all who dwell in Asia heard the word of the Lord. That is, that is crazy. Also, the mention of the way, that's kind of what we talked about last week, the way, the truth, the life. It's kind of a theme that goes throughout the Bible, the Old Testament, New Testament. Then Jesus showed up and he fulfills it and says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. So Christianity at this point, that's what they call themselves. We are in the way. We are in the way of the Lord. Yes. Quick question. Um, when it says Asia, do you know if that is generally the same as what we consider the continent of Asia nowadays? No. So the okay. area they're in now, uh, like actually that main portion that he's traveling through, if you have your map in the back, yeah. not this area. Okay. Okay. But this whole area is considered Asia Minor. That's a, okay. it's a, what they called it in the ancients. Yeah, that's Not what Rome called it. Japan and China. So it's like the east. It's like Rome oh, kind nice. of yeah. owned it. Yeah, so this is Turkey. Like this is Turkey and down here is Syria. Uh, modern day. But they called all of that Asia Minor. Mm -hmm. So okay. that whole portion. So up into Bithynia, Galatia. Uh, all that whole area, mm -hmm. they're saying everybody in that area, mm -hmm. within this two years, two plus years, um, so far it's been two years, three months, he's just there teaching and everybody's hearing the word of the Lord and, and like, the was, way is being spread. It was Thomas that headed east to India. He was like the apostle that went that direction. Okay. Nice. So Thomas, that they have like a, a mount in India for that, and then that's when that side of the world. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, they are spreading the word of the Lord, and the way is being spread. In verse uh, 11 now, it says, Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. Who worked the miracles? God. Yeah. That's what, that's what we've been talking about, right? The the works of God through his people. That's the name of the series of acts that we're in. And that's what we continue to see. But we need to remember that it's God working the miracles. And before we move on, what is a miracle? Let's just like open that up for a second. Well, it doesn't even have to be supernatural, I think. Like... A lot of people confuse supernatural with a miracle, but a miracle, I think, is an act of God that a human can't do. Yeah. 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 Typically, when we think of miracles, and even biblically, it's it's not a normal thing, right? It's something that, like Johnny said, it's something that man can't do, it only God can do, and these things 
like on a smaller scale, yes, they do happen more often, but like typically like miracles, like it's a rare thing. And it's interesting to see what kind of miracles God worked by the hands of Paul. What does it say? Extraordinary. Extraordinary. Mine says unusual. This is, okay, a miracle is already a rare thing. This is an unusual miracle. These are, these are very rare, very weird things that God is doing by the hands of God. And uh, so he's, he, God is working even, even more rare things through Paul here. But it is God working them. So verse 12 here is interesting. It says, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body, from Paul's body, right, to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. That's unusual. <laughs> that is very unusual. And you read that, and you're like, what? Like, who's working this miracle? Like, it's because Paul had it? Is it, God, is it God or is it Paul that's working this miracle? This is interesting because I think Dave was just preaching a sermon about yes. like how Paul had to say, you know, it's not me, it's God. Like you shouldn't be saying I'm with Paul, I'm with Paulos and stuff. And like these kind of miracles, I can see people being like, oh, Paul, look at these magic men. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, like it's saying God was performing the miracles. Dave also spoke, I think it was two weeks ago, really great sermon. I would for sure recommend it if you haven't heard it, if you want to hear it. It's up on Hope Chapel's podcast. But uh, he was talking about how when you receive a prophet, right, Jesus said, whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives my father. Whoever denies you denies me and denies the Father. That's how it works. So when you receive a prophet, you're receiving Jesus. And by proxy, you're receiving God. So that's what's happening here. This is, again, it's unusual, yeah. Um, another thing with the unusual thing is in Ephesus, because it was such a spiritual yeah, whatever place, right? Just all yeah. kinds of weird rituals and stuff. There was so much counterfeit and like magic tricks going on yeah that i god always counteracts it he's like all right you're gonna you're gonna start lying to people like you're actually doing stuff here's some legit things yes and, and we're so, actually gonna see that tonight yeah so it's like the place and the setting is very important with yeah like what's going on spiritually yeah and uh it's important though to re to realize like the way this is happening is that they are receiving Paul. They're receiving his message. And, and like you were just saying, Jaslyn, it's very, very clear. Paul made it excessively clear all the time. It's not me. It is Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit working through me. It's God the Father doing this thing by my hands. He's very, very clear about that. So what, the, what we need to hold on to and realize is that how we treat one another matters to God. Right, and especially how you treat a child of God. We we saw this earlier when we were learning about Paul and his before when he got converted. Right, he is going to kill Christians. Jesus knocks him down and says, "Why do you persecute me?" Jesus had already died, risen, and ascended into heaven, but he says, "Why do you persecute me?" Because how we treat Christians is how we treat Christ. 
right? Jesus said about the, the children, whoever receives or whoever, however you treat these is how you treat me. He says multiple times how you feed somebody, how you cl- uh, clothe somebody who doesn't have clothes. However you treat the least of these is how you treat me. So how we treat one another, it matters to God. He takes it very personally, especially when it's his children. So this handkerchief, it doesn't have power. It's just a handkerchief. But they're receiving it because they know that Paul has power. And they're not just saying, Paul has power. They know that Paul has power from the creator of everything and that God is able to heal their ailments. So they're receiving Paul's message and they are receiving God, not Paul, because he is, again, always very clear, like, this is God. Have faith in God. Jesus is the one you need to believe in. He's the one you need to have faith in. So they're receiving Paul's message while receiving these sort of tokens. So Paul is not a magician, right? He doesn't do these weird miracles to impress people and then leave without telling them how he did it or why he did it. He's always like, the reason is so that you would believe. Like, this is why you were healed. This is why the demon is cast out, so that all would believe that Jesus is the Christ and that God can save you from damnation, from his own wrath. That is the point of what Paul is doing, and he's always very clear about that. Verse 13, we're going to see some of these interesting people. It says, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exercise you, right? We exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. We're going to sort of unpack that in a second. Also, there were seven sons of Siva, a Jewish chief priest who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leapt on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. This became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. Even by today's standards, that is a ton of money. Uh, So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. So I wanted to read that whole section so we can kind of understand what's going on. uh, And then we're going to kind of go back and look at it. First, this word itinerant. Some of your versions might say they moved place to place, they went here and there, something like that. The word literally means to come around or to wander. I really like the King James version. It says vagabonds, <laughs> these vagabond <laughs> Jewish exorcists. Uh, these are a type of Jew that they're wanderers in every sense. They do go from place to place. They travel around, but they've all also wandered from the way, right? The way of the Lord. They're not following what God says, even if they were to follow the law, right? If they were to do what the Jewish people were doing, they they had wandered from that because God says, don't do witchcraft, don't do magic, don't do these things. 
and uh, Josephus and Pliny, uh, these are other historians that wrote about this type of person, and they would do these magic tricks, they would do, they would pretend to read people's fortunes, they would do all these really weird things, and so they were, they were not Jews, they were Jewish by descent, but they weren't, they were kind of twisting the religion of Judaism, and they were doing whatever they wanted, and they were kind of experimenting, as we see here, they don't really know what they're doing. Uh, they try and, a lot of your versions will say exercise, we exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. This word actually means uh, to adjure or to command, to charge, uh, it literally means to solemnly implore, implore or to force to take an oath. So this word exercise, like it, it has come to mean to cast out demons. But the text, the word, simply implies they were trying to control. They were trying to command the demon or the demon-possessed person. That's what they were trying to do in the name of Jesus. It, it's not like they cared about the person and they're trying to get the demon out of it. They're trying to use Jesus' name to do a magic trick, to impress others, to, to control this, this wild thing. They, they're not trying to do anything good or godly. They didn't believe in Jesus. They didn't care about Paul. They were just doing this weird thing because they did all kinds of other weird things. So this thing that happens, it becomes known to everyone in the city, and the name of Jesus is magnified and glorified. The power of God is shown to be more powerful than the magicians, more powerful than these, oh, these guys, oh, I've heard about these guys, they travel around, they do this crazy stuff. Like, these guys are cool, these guys are ma magicians, right? But they actually do real stuff. And the power of God humiliates them, right? Because God doesn't show up, but the, the demon's like, yeah, I know who you're talking about. That's not you. <laughs> and so they overpower these guys, and many people are saved because it's like, wow. Like, the demon recognized that there is power in that name, but he didn't obey them because they're not believers. So a lot of people, a lot of magicians, they're burning the books, they're getting rid of their old ways, and they're turning to... Jesus. This is uh, an amazing thing. And this is recorded because it's all leading up to something, right? In the book of Luke, it's it's all for a reason. And here in Ephesus, we're going to start to see things build as we read on. Verse 21, uh, when these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Acacia to go to Jerusalem saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. This is going to be a very important verse later on in, in coming chapters and coming sermons. For now, we're just going to continue in the story. But he's purposed not in his spirit, like, oh, I'm, I'm making a decision. This is what I want to do. He's purposed in the Holy Spirit. He's making a promise here to the Holy Spirit. I'm going to go to Macedonia, through Acacia, and I'm going to go to Jerusalem. Then I'm going to Rome. So he's, he's making, he's purposing in the spirit to do these things. 22. So he, he sent into uh, Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a time. Now, we, we already established where Asia was. Asia Minor, that's where Ephesus is. He actually stays there. Through reading this, many people will see, and I myself have said, oh, he's, he's moving on now. No, he's still in Ephesus, but he's sending Timothy and Erastus to prepare his way, and he is starting to plan to go into these areas. But he's actually staying in Ephesus, or at least around Ephesus. And 
he is preparing to cross the sea to go to Corinth and those other areas, which is like modern-day Greece, right? He's, he's planning to go into what we know as Europe very soon. But right now, he is staying in Ephesus and just sending those guys ahead of him. And because we are in Ephesus, I wanted to show you guys a little bit about Ephesus. And uh, this will sort of help wrap your head around where we are and... Yeah, so we'll just, here we go. Ephesus is situated on the west coast of Turkey, an area the Greeks called Ionia, and the Romans the province of Asia. This important city was once home to one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the Temple of Artemis. The late classical temple dating from the second half of the 4th century BC was located on the plain and was built on an east-west axis. It provided the grid system for the refounding of the city by King Lysimachus in about 300 BC. City walls, about nine kilometers long, were built on the ridges of the hills. Here we see the model of the city in the Hellenistic period. Ephesus grew under the Romans. They developed the city even further and gave it an artificial harbor. Ephesus was originally situated on the Aegean coast. But the rivers increasingly deposited silt, and the Romans finally created an artificial port linked to the canal. We can approach the city along this canal and cross the harbor to reach the main entrance, the port gate. Behind here was the Arcadiani, named after Emperor Arcadimus. It led to the city center and the theater. Traders used to sell their goods in the arcades on the left and right. Oil lamps lit up the gangways at night. We continue along the road towards the theater. The Arcadiane looks like this today. We walk through the eastern gate, which marks the end of the Arcadiane, to the theater, one of the largest in the ancient world. It could accommodate between 22 and 25,000 spectators. It fell into decay from the sixth century onwards. Its stones were used to construct the Byzantine city, during the Roman period, this was not only a place for theater productions and gladiator games. Public meetings also took place here. For example, this was where the decision was taken to expel the Apostle Paul from the city because the silversmiths were no longer able to sell their tiny silver figures of Artemis to pilgrims because of his missionary work. This is what it looks like today. The stage building, or Sikhane. This is how the Apostle Paul saw it, too. So... That video goes on. There's more to it. But I just wanted you to get sort of a scope of... This is a massive city. Like, maybe one of the biggest that Paul has been to yet. Huge city. Um, as he mentioned in the beginning of the video, the Temple of Artemis. My Bible's going to say Diana. Those were interchangeable. That's like Greek-Roman stuff, but they did call them both. Your Bibles, I think, NASB, ESV, say Artemis, but... Either way, it's talking about the same goddess. This Temple of Artemis was one of the seven wonders of the world. Most people who talked about them said that it was like one of the most impressive, like one of the, the biggest and craziest. So people came from all over to see the Temple of Artemis. It was very famous, this massive city. And as uh, we're going to see, a lot of people made a business a a around a lot of this 
tourism that's happening. So we can continue here and keep sort of that in mind. Now that you have a visual of kind of what the city kind of looked like and all that whole people were selling stuff that's basically like the marketplace. And that's where it all kind of gets wound up. <clears throat> Verse 23 says, And about that time there arose a great commotion about the way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who had silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, Men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made by hands. So, not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana uh, may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. This guy's not, you know, overstating this. Everybody knows this is what the city's known for. Now, when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's travel companions. So here we see a little bit of history repeating itself. We've seen this type of thing happen in Paul's ministry before. People are getting fired up because the gospel that Paul is preaching here might cost them money, right? Before, this isn't like when Paul cast out the, the demon from the demon-possessed woman who is making guys money by telling the future, right? It's not like that thing. This is like, oh, this could, this could damage our job. And so, but it's, again, it's because of their money. It's their pocketbook. It's going to affect that thing. So they get all fired up. This small group of angry people whip together an angry mob. And when they can't find Paul, they just grab the closest people that uh, we've seen him with them. Let's grab him. Let's arrest him. Let's bring him into the theater. And they seek to kill uh, Paul and the whole group. That's where this is going. That's what we've seen happen in the other time. So it's every there's confusion. And this is, this is a massive city to have a, an angry mob. Verse 30 says, And when Paul wanted to go in to the people, the disciples would not allow him. Paul's like, It's me thereafter. I'm just going to go in there. I'm going to go do it. And they're like, no, do not go in there. Then some of the officials of, of Asia, who were his friends, said to him, pleading that he would not venture into the theater. Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused. And most of them did not know why they had come together. Imagine, you know, in that sort of marketplace area, everybody, there's this big commotion, everybody's rushing into the theater, and it's kind of like, what's going on? Let's go see what's going on. And then people go in there, and everyone's yelling, oh, it's, it's because of this. And, you know, the game of telephone has been played. Nobody knows what's going on. It's just chaos and anger and wrath, and people are trying to figure it out, but it's just this crazy, weird, angry mob. And they gather, like, when when... There's a mob of people, like for good or for evil, more people are going to be drawn to that. When there's a crowd of people, it's like, oh, what's going on over here? Let's go see. Like, that's just human nature. Especially at that time. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, because it's like what's exciting that's happening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that's like let's go. That's true. Yeah, and it's totally. weird because at that time it was probably it wasn't as easy to just be like, yeah, the cops will take care of it. Somebody call the cops. That kind of thing. It's kind of like the way that yeah, <laughs> like they didn't really. They probably didn't have like a. I mean, they don't have like a police force like we do now. And at the time, it's yeah, like, I mean, Rome was pretty organized. They had soldiers. soldiers. Yeah, they had soldiers, and they had a system. But like, I, I mean, how how are soldiers just supposed to immediately know what's going on all of the time? No, yeah, right, yeah. and and eventually yeah. the city figures it out, and and they come a couple hours later, as we're going to see next uh, in verse thirty three. It says, and they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward, and Alexander motioned with his hands, right, he's trying to quiet them down. And wanted to make his defense to the people. But when they found out that he was a Jew, again, this is sort of a weird time in Rome. There's some anti-Semitism going on. The Jews have been cast out of Rome, as we talked about in in the past weeks. So there's some weird stuff going on in Rome with the Jewish people. So this guy's getting her high into the deal just because he's Jewish. And he's about to get shut down. When they found out he was a Jew, all with one voice they cried out, for two hours, great is Diana of the Ephesians. Just repeating that for two hours. And when the city clerk had quieted the crowd and said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Zeus? This is some like Greek mythology stuff. But that's what the city's known for. Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. For you have brought these men here, who are neither robbers of the, of the temples, nor blasphemers of the goddess. Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a, a case against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you have any other inquiry to make, it shall be determined in the lawful assembly, for we are in danger of being called into question for today's uproar. Right? This is because uh, I have a little note here. It says the, this can also be translated charged with rebellion. This is like not a good way to assemble. It's not how you're supposed to conduct yourself in Rome. There being no reason which we may give to account for this disorderly gathering. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Proverbs says, a soft word turns away wrath. Right? And this man, I don't know if he was a believer or not. It does say some of the leaders of Asia are warning Paul, like, stay out of here. These are some of his friends who are, you know, it could have been him. We don't know. But... He is a courageous man, and uh, he, he stands before this angry mob who's been shouting for two hours. They just He just kind of calms him down, and it's interesting that he's obviously figured, figured out what the issue is. He doesn't just come in and start reacting and, like, try and control everybody. He's obviously, he's, he's calling out Demetrius and this group of guys. He's, like, gone around to figure out what the issue is before he addresses them. And he addresses them and then gently dismisses them. And 
you notice the guy who was trying to give his defense, this Alexander guy, he wouldn't be heard. Sometimes in stressful situations, in arguments, in situations like this, if there's anger, that needs to be dealt with and settled down before any defense is even going to be considered. All right. We also see in this situation that Paul feels personally responsible for the uproar, as he so often does. Right? He's like, "This is because of me. Uh, this is this is because of me," and it, and it is. <laughs> it is because of him. But he's trying to run in there and fix it because he feels personally responsible. But his friends and wise counsel says, "Don't go in there. Do not go in there." So thankfully, he listens because. Paul would have made things a lot worse going in there. The angry mob is angry because of him. If he shows up, it's not going to go well for him or the other Christians. He's the one that they have all their focus on, right? So they're like, stay out of there. So to wrap this thing up a little bit, I kind of wanted to talk about high stress situations, whether it be a fight with a, a family member or a loved one or situations like this. There's some spiritual truths in here, and there's other verses to back these things up, but just, just reading this story, we can see some things to, to pause and think about and try and like build into ourselves so that when we come into these stressful situations, we know how to react. So uh, I've got five of them here. Number one is don't get defensive, right? Again, the Alexander guy just stands up and is like, yeah, yeah, and he's just trying to make a defense. He will not be heard in that moment, right? Number two, listen to wise counsel. This is a biblical theme to, to receive and listen to wise counsel. Again, if you're talking about a stressful situation at work or a fight with family or a situation like this, there, there are, there's going to be wise counsel that you, can, that you can listen to. And when I say wise counsel, I'm talking about godly, Bible-believing people who you know and trust and you can take godly advice from them. That's wise counsel. Um, listen to them in these stressful situations because our instinct sometimes is to react, to run in and try and save the day because we're the ones that cause the issue, right? But Paul's wise counselors say, no, sit on it. <laughs> like, it's fine. And it's it was fine. The guy dealt with it and nobody got hurt. He gently dismisses them. Everybody goes home. There's nothing to see here. And then it's fine. It, it would have gone very differently if Paul hadn't listened to that wise counsel. Number three, seek the truth. Don't get whipped into the stress, right? Rather, find what the reason for the stress is. This is uh, coming from the, the leader who went in there. Again, he didn't have no idea what was going on. He finds where the stress is. He finds where the problem is. And then he addresses the, pro the problem. And then releases them, right? Number four, diffuse the situation, okay? If it's high stress, if it's high energy, if it's high anger, if you're in the midst of a fight, if something's going, sometimes you sort of have to just diffuse the situation. And then number five is deal with the reason for the stress at the proper time and place. Sometimes in the heat of the moment is not the, the time to deal with the reason for the stress. It maybe needs to be dealt with, but it's at the right time and the right place. That was not the right time or the right place. And he says, if Demetrius has a problem, if the craftsmen have a problem, they can go to the right time and place. They can go to the courthouse. They can 
talk to the pro console. There's a right and a wrong way to do this and this ain't it. So diffuse that situation. Sometimes uh, if it is a fight with a spouse or something, like sometimes it needs to be like, you know what? Like we need to, to take a second, cool our heads and talk about this later. Especially if it's like we're tired, it's late at night, we're, we're fighting, we're both angry, we're in the moment. And it's like, you know what? We love each other. Let's end. It needs to be dealt with, but let's get some sleep. Let's get some food on our bellies in the morning. Let's like relax and we can deal with this stressful situation when we're a little bit more cool headed. So just some things that I was thinking and praying uh, about when I was reading this. Um, after the uproar, verse 1 of 20 says, After the uproar had ceased, Paul called together the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia, which is where we'll pick it up next week. So we can pray now and enjoy some fellowship with one another. Dear God, uh, we love you and we thank you for your word and the spiritual truths that are in there, God. I pray that you will... Um, help us to grow as people, help us to take some of these spiritual truths and, and uh, apply them when we have fights, when we have stressful situations, that we don't just react, but we, we think. We think about the, the issues, we listen to wise counsel, we, we don't just rush in and, and try and fix it, but that, that we approach it in a, in a godly way, God. So I pray that you'll give us wisdom in those moments. And um, as, as you did with Paul, and I pray that you will um, help us in those situations in life and also uh, just in our week this week. We love you and praise you. I pray these things in Jesus' name.